0: Hello there, everybody. Welcome to Frogs War Podcast. I'm Jamie Plunkett.
1: Melissa Watson.
0: Been a minute, Melissa.
1: Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's been a lot going on, and it's kind of not a lot going on, and now we're ready to get back to our regular scheduled programming, I suppose.
0: I suppose so. You know, we're into February now, and today, National Signing Day is as good a day if any, as any, I guess, to kick things back up again with the podcast. It was a nice little break there, though. Yeah. Um, some cool news, though, on podcast front is that this podcast that you're listening to with your ears right now has just joined officially the SB Nation podcast network. Uh, so for those of you that are subscribed already, there's really nothing else that you need to do. Nothing on your end will be changing. Um, but for those of you uh, who are listening but aren't subscribed yet, you've got another place where you can find us now. Uh, over at the Mothership at sbnation.com, right. so that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it's super cool. Um, it makes us kind of officially official now, which you know is good news or bad news depending on how you view this little show. But I guess, like Trey Wingo said this week, if you don't like it, you don't don't listen. But that was the uh, that's real. That's yeah, but, <laughs> but if you don't like it, it and don't
0: listen, still download.
1: Yeah, yeah, still download. That's all we care about. We do this for likes. Yeah.
0: Just just do the do the downloads. That's all we care about. Um, But, yeah, Melissa, we've got a lot to talk about. It's obviously National Signing Day, so TCU finished out its class of 2019. The Carter boys are all signed and ready to rock. Uh TCU basketball is in the midst of a what-the-heck-is-going-on kind of streak right now with two tragic losses uh, on the road last week, and they have a game against Oklahoma State at home tonight. Um, and we're less than two weeks away from TCU baseball kicking off their season. So let's get into it. Shall we?
1: Shall we, indeed.
0: All right, so coming into National <laughs> Signing Day, TCU already had 22 signees thanks to the early signing period back in December, um, but they still had a couple of loose ends to tie up, and so they signed five guys today out of high school, uh, and then they also uh, officially announced a grad transfer and Shamik Blackshear, defensive end from South Carolina. So those six guys, plus Alex Delton, if you, if you include him, Means that TCU has 29 new horn frogs coming onto campus sometime, uh, between now and, uh, the fall season, which is kind of interesting because normally you see recruiting classes only get to 25 because of the
1: scholarship limits and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a huge, huge class for the horn frogs, but you know, you lose a lot, uh, a lot of seniors this year and we expect to have a pretty small class going forward. So. Nice to see them add to the fold with some big numbers, which obviously could make 2019 a young learning experience type of year, but a lot of potential across multiple positions in this signing class, and it's an exciting group from top to bottom.
0: It really is. You know, the guys that they signed today are some uh, kids who are kind of rising stars. We've seen now with this early signing period the last couple of years that January and February, schools and having some of their guys already locked in gives them an opportunity to maybe kind of comb states again for talent that maybe hasn't been discovered yet. And that's absolutely the case for these guys. You've got Dylan Jordan, a linebacker out of Pittsburgh, Kansas who had one G five offer heading into December and his, his recruiting absolutely blew up over the last couple of months. And he chose TCU over, um, I believe it was Nebraska and, um, Louisville and Auburn and a couple other schools as well. Utah was on that list. Yeah. Um, you had Earl Barquette, a defensive end out of Louisiana, who p- racked up tons of um, offers after his sophomore year from the likes of Georgia and Florida State and LSU and a bunch of other schools, but had a knee injury his junior year, and so a lot of schools backed off. Had a decent senior year, looks to be healthy again, and TCU probably gets a really big athletic steal out of this kid. He's already like 6'5", 235, coming in as a, as a true freshman. Um, obviously, Travis Hodges, LT's nephew, out of Waco Midway, that's a huge guy um, to get for TCU at, at cornerback position. Um, you know, beating Baylor out makes that uh, makes getting him on campus a little bit sweeter. Keon Stewart announcing most recently, out of all of the commits announcing on Monday night of this week, um, and saying that he was coming to TCU, picked TCU over Utah and Texas Tech at, at his, uh, his, out there at safety. Um, but the biggest signing, arguably Melissa, is the kid out of Newton, the running back Darwin Barlow um who everybody was nervous about because he was visiting USC and potentially visiting Florida State and there were a lot of these rumors about how he wasn't even going to use one of his official visits on TCU even though he was committed he said he was committed he said he was signing um and on signing day he did exactly what he said he would do despite all of the rumors that were kind of surrounding him and he signed with TCU uh and that really I think is one of the one of the key gems to this 2019 class
1: yeah, absolutely, and and I think it's a huge recruiting win for the Horned Frogs, and and maybe if Cliff Kingsbury had stayed at USC, maybe this conversation goes differently this evening. But you have to love a kid who who committed with a couple of teammates who you know committed back in August, September, and and held true despite wanting to go out there and and look around. And I have no problem with that. You know, he's he's been solid to his commitment, but there's you're getting opportunities to go to places like USC and. And, you know, wherever else, I think you got to take advantage. you got to let them be sure. It's the biggest decision of his life. And if you want kids not to transfer, you have to let them go explore their options going up to that point, too, and not be bitter about that. So holding on to him, um, I think, was huge for the Horned Frogs in, a, in a several different ways. But at the end of the day, the most important part is they add another top 40 uh, running back to a class that already includes the by Foster <laughs> and gives you a dominating, potentially one-two punch going forward, especially when you factor in the fact you're probably going to be looking at a young quarterback uh, sometime here in the next couple of years. So it's a good group. Um, I, I think the, the, the Dylan Jordan signing, to me, is, is the most fascinating of any of the recruiting stories down the stretch. Um, seeing it, I, I, This is why I always take these recruiting rankings with a grain of salt. Nobody had heard of this kid two months ago, and now all of a sudden he's a top 300 player in the country. Uh, it's it's, mm-hmm. just, it's just I think he's a real player. I don't think this is it. This is not meant to be a knock on him whatsoever. I think he was an undiscovered gem. But it makes you makes you remember too that how often these services are looking at um, you know some of the name brand stuff first before they're looking at the actual player. And once you get a chance to catch up on some film uh, later in the process, you start to realize maybe maybe a kid that wasn't getting a lot of talk deserves a little bit more recognition. Uh, he's going to be a stud for TCU. I, I am absolutely excited that he chose the Horn Frogs. Um, but it is just a crazy situation to go from, from being, you know, like you said, he had FCS offers and one group of five offer. And then all of a sudden everybody is hot on his trail here in January. Uh, that is a, a product of the new early signing period for sure.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, and Patterson mentioned this in his signing day press conference today, you see, and, and you alluded to it too. You see these kids that go to, kind of those blue blood programs and then they bump up uh their rankings a little bit to say maybe from a 3 star to a 4 star or a low 4 star 4 star to a high 4 star high 4 star to a 5 star um and it really does feel like you said like there is some name brand influence there um I know that in the past we've seen kids commit to TCU and their ratings have either stayed the same or maybe dropped a little bit that's changing honestly if you keep uh if you keep a close enough eye on how rankings update throughout the years um, or throughout the year, each recruiting cycle, you'll see that over the past several recruiting cycles, TCU has been less um, susceptible to having kids dropped in the rankings simply because they're uh, shutting down their recruitment after committing to TCU. And so they maybe don't have the offer list that some of these other kids have. Um, But instead, you know, this cycle we've seen, you know, obviously Dylan Jordan getting an incredible rating. Uh, guys like Carter Johnson have bumped up in the ratings a tremendous amount. Josh Foster is another one who bumped up in the ratings. Max Duggan has bumped up in the ratings, even though he was high to begin with. Um, Colt Ellison is another guy that you can talk about that was a pretty big riser uh, despite his um, injury. And uh, so I think think that is an indicator, too, of maybe TCU starting to get the benefit of some of that. Um, Oh, if this kid's going to TCU, maybe there's really something there because people are starting to know how good of an evaluator Gary Patterson and his staff are. Um, that's not to say that these kids aren't worthy of those rainies that they've received. But, um, you know, it's always it's kind of one of those underlying games that, it, that always gets played in the midst of the recruiting season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, the most important thing is I think Gary Patterson has identified a recruiting class that he's really excited about that does a lot of things well on both sides of the ball. He's And, and the best thing of this whole group is I think what they did was really go out and identify need. Um, you know, when we saw mm-hmm. that over the transition from the Mountain West Conference to the Big 12, it was more about what are the best possible athletes and players that we can get because we need to build that stockpile of, you know, three, four-star recruits, guys that they can come in and play at this level right away. Now they can be a little bit choosier. You know, they can take a few more chances. They can go out and, and identify the types of players that they want instead of being worried about uh, the caliber of athlete that they are overall, overall. And we saw that specifically in the makeup of this group. A lot of defensive linemen, a lot of linebackers, a lot of secondary players, and really, just a handful of of offensive skill position players, um, which is probably you know you would assume the deepest group on the team if everybody develops at the rate right we expect.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's get into that. Let's get into some of the details of this class a little bit uh, today. Patterson made uh, um, made it really clear that he is he's in love with this recruiting class. It's 32nd overall in the nation. It's third in the Big Twelve of uh, as far as recruiting classes go. Um, But he said this is arguably the fastest class top to bottom that he's ever recruited. Mm -hmm. And he named specifically that there's exceptional speed at safety at wide receiver and at linebacker. And if you know anything about TCU's defense, you know that it thrives when it has speed at every position. So that has to make TCU fans incredibly happy. Doesn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, And and the speed is a real deal. And the thing that's different about maybe, maybe this kind of class and what we saw kind of towards the end of the mountain West conference days, when they were recruiting at a high level um, they're fast, but they're also, like, prototypical size for their position. I mean, with the exception of Travius Hodges Tomlinson, everybody else looks the part of a Big 12 athlete when it comes to height. And Hodges is such a athletic dude that he can make up for the fact that he's maybe only I'm kind of in the mold of Ardarius um, Washington through the frog sign last year and got some snaps um, as, a, as a safety this year. But, uh, you know, you've got six-foot-tall corners. You've got six-foot-tall wide receivers. You've got big running backs. These guys are big and fast, which makes them super, super dangerous um, for whatever position that they're playing.
0: It really does. And, you know, you've got a couple guys who uh, on the on the list of commitments, if you look at the commit list, that they, they're probably going to be switching positions or maybe their position will be clarified a little bit once they get on campus. You've got a guy like Parker Workman, a Juco kid who's listed as a linebacker on 24-7, but he's already on campus. He's already been shifted over to defensive end to help kind of boost the the depth there. And he's a guy at 6'3", 240, really fast, incredibly strong guy. You put a couple more pounds on him, uh, and he's playing at Ben Vanagoo's weight of Mm -hmm. 247, and he might be able to to really do some damage there right out of the gate. Um, But, you know, I think uh, one of the most impressive aspects of this recruiting class is uh, the fact that they have two top 30 running backs in the country, according to pretty much every ranking system across the board and DeMarco Foster and Darwin Barlow. Um, You look at the frustration uh, that we've had with TCU's offense over the last several seasons. And it's been because we feel like there's maybe not as much opportunity for the running backs to run as we've, as we've wanted as fans, you know, we've, Talked about how much we wanted Kyle Hicks to get the ball. And then we've talked about how much we wanted Darius Anderson to get the ball. Now we have you know, we want Shewa to get the ball. He got the ball, you know, what is it, 40 times basically in the Cheez-It Bowl yeah. and ran for 200 yards and a couple touchdowns. And, uh, you know, TCU gutted out a really ugly game. Also better, better than the Super Bowl. Though. 100%. Just a side note. Um, and now you have an opportunity to bring in these two guys who are incredibly dynamic runners who racked up just insane stats uh in their in their high school careers I think combined their senior year they had something like uh, something like close to 6000 rushing yards and 75 rushing touchdowns between the two of them or something like that seems good it's just absolutely yeah I, th- I think those are good numbers um but you have two guys now that kind of kind of come in and maybe take that mantle from Darius and Shewo when the time comes uh and it's just you know kind of a reloading situation at runbacker. We've got eight defensive backs in this class, three cornerbacks and five safeties, uh, including one, Josh Foster, who's listed as an athlete. Um, He's the other kid from Newton that signed. He's Darwin Barlow's teammate. uh, And Gary Patterson called him the steal of the class today. So that's a guy to keep an eye on is Josh Foster. Eight guys from the trenches, three offensive linemen and five defensive linemen, uh, three linebackers, two wide receivers. Um, But, Melissa, the two best additions in some fans' eyes will be (laughs) –
1: I know you're punter telling.
0: Jordan Sandy, yep. and the preferred walk-on kicker Griffin Kell.
1: I am uh, so so. First of all, everyone, this is unfortunate because we probably this is probably our fault, Jamie, if we're being really honest. But the Miami punter kind of went, the new Miami punter kind of went viral today because he's covered yeah. in tattoos. Because um, he's, I think he's like like forty-two years old, and he's got you know three or four toddlers or something. But but Jordan Sandy is also equally as tatted up, and maybe it's because TCU is not Miami um but but we have ourselves an australian padded up punter and it's a beautiful thing um and and i think he's going to be great everything i was able to find about him he looks like the real deal and so that's it you know adam nunez is of course in the transfer portal now so finding a punter that could really um, you know just kind of knock the laces off the ball was, was a key addition for the horn frogs and stealing him from texas tech is even better um but i am super excited about griffin kale too the preferred walk on um I know Jaden a little bit. We've, my class has worked with him um, in, in promoting his his company, and so I've actually been to several of his camps and lessons, and I've seen Griffin kick it, and, and this kid looks like the real deal. Um, we've got one more year, Jonathan Song and Cole Bunce and however that shakes out, but he's a guy who could certainly come in and give those two guys a run for his money right away. Um, really solid high school career at Arlington High, did a lot of things well. He's got distance um you know he's he's accurate, and he's been trained by what many people would say is the best kicker in t c u history and that's jaden Obercrom, so it's really uh hard not to get excited about about a kid that's been working with a legend uh like jaden and and so um I'm really glad that he ended up choosing t c u over Houston down the stretch yeah,
0: me too um you know that's with the kicker frustrations that we've had and just with everything that. You know, college kickers has been a hashtag for forever now. Uh, it's nice to know that you've got some coming in who could be that consistent. Just you don't have to worry about it. He's going to put three points on the board, yeah. kid, um, because points we've, you know, I think we saw this season that TCU proved points can be a really valuable commodity, yeah. especially if you're playing the Horn Frogs. And so any opportunity to have a guy on campus who can just consistently get you points is definitely a plus for any team.
1: For sure, and I think that you know, I still, I still want to believe in Jonathan Song. I, th- I still think he has the the ability. I mean, he's he's made some clutch kicks, but I think his range is somewhat limited. Um, and where Kel maybe has a little bit of a bigger leg, that if given a year to develop, if, if Song can really just just take the job and hold it this year, stay healthy, that's a big part of it too. Um, that that mm-hmm. he could be more than serviceable for TCU. But I think the future is really, really bright when it comes to Griffin, and I'm excited to to see him on campus in Fort Worth.
0: Yeah, it's a, definitely a good addition. Um, that's for sure. And, you know, we didn't really talk much about Shamik Blackshear at the top, but we mentioned him. He's a grad transfer from South Carolina, defensive end, big, big, big body. He's like 6'5 million pounds, yeah, basically. And so. He's
1: super interesting. Um, he has quite the backstory. I, I think he's a kid that's going to benefit a lot from a change of scenery. You know, a big reason why he hasn't quite um, met his potential. I mean, he was a heavily, heavily recruited guy. Um, every SEC and a lot of the ACC programs were after him. He got hurt in high school and then his first year on campus in Columbia, um, was actually the victim of a, a shooting incident at a club, um, an innocent bystander from what I understand, but, uh, that set him back quite a bit. And so I think getting coached up by Gary Patterson's Arnell Fitch and, and, you know, the defensive staff over at TCU, mm-hmm. if he can get anything close to what his potential is, he has a chance to be, uh, maybe maybe one of the absolute steals and kind of a, a conference newcomer of the year type player um, if if, he, if his head's in the right place and, and if he can come and take coaching and get developed quickly. Obviously, it'd be great if he was on campus now in January um, because they'll only have the summer and the fall to work with him, but he has the tools. I mean, he looks the part of a big, nasty defensive end, kind of a, a taller LJ Collier. So hopefully he, he lives up to his billing and can be healthy as in his last year eligibility and make a name for himself.
0: Yeah, hopefully so, because I think TCU, like you said, is really going to rely on him and his presence yeah, and losing Bandicoot and Collier. Yeah.
1: Well, just yeah. to lead um, these other young guys too, he's going to have to be a locker room leader for this really, really young group of defensive linemen. And so hopefully he's up for that challenge as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though he's not on campus, there are several, there are several members of this class, 10, in fact, that are already on campus for TCU and a couple of them are defensive linemen. Uh, You've got um, Adam Plant Jr., who is a guy who really was coming out of high school, was a class of 2018 kid, uh, took a gap year, um, and has just been working out the entire time. He's already on campus, and he's already started to impress some people um, with his his strength and his, his speed, so he's a defensive end guy to kind of keep an eye on. Um, Parker Workman, we've already mentioned he's, he's on campus already. Um, and then beyond that, you've got some guys that it's really nice to have on campus. You've got Max Duggan, four-star quarterback on campus, Donovan Collins, the OG commit for this class. Mm -hmm. There's also an early enrollee. The kid was committed for like almost two years before he stepped foot on campus, which is just nuts to me. You know, you consider all of the things, uh, about college football nowadays that, you know, transfers are rampant flipping and, you know lists of top 20 schools and all this other stuff. Donovan Collins straight up committed, stayed committed for almost two years and then took care of his business in the classroom to become an early enrollee. That's the kind of frog factor, right? That you really like to see in a kid. You've got offensive linemen, Brandon Brown and Marcus Williams get on campus early, which is huge Two high schoolers. And then you've got two more Juco guys, um, Sony Missy at defensive tackle, Michael Barkley, who's wide receiver, who's part of the speed that Patterson was referencing today in his press conference. And then you've also got a kid's safety, Nook, Bra- Nook Bradford, who took a semester or took a year at um, like post-high school, pre-college military academy um, just to take another year, and he's another one of those athletic freaks that Patterson's really kind of drooling over um, that's already on campus getting work getting his head wrapped around what his expectations are in the secondary. Um, just another really big addition yeah. for the Horn Frogs.
1: Yeah, it, it's nice to let those guys kind of get the opportunity to start working together, um, to, to start building that chemistry. And at the end of the day, when when you look at everything TCU lost this year and everything they're going to lose next year as far as graduates, uh, some of these guys are going to have to be ready to play, um, especially when you look at the secondary, the running back position. And Max Duggan, as of right now, uh, is one of only two healthy quarterbacks taking snaps for TCU.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: and the other one is Alex Delton. So you could certainly be looking at a situation where him deciding to enroll in January gives him a leg up on the competition when it comes to who's going to start the opening game of 2019 season. And and I, th- I think most Frog fans, um, you know, we're still all very, very helpful that Justin Rogers will be ready to go come come fall ball. But right now, if it's a choice between Alex Delton and Max Duggan, I think most people would say, let's, let's let Duggan go out and win the job and, and be the guy. And even if that means a, Andy Dalton esque uh, freshman year, Trayvon Boykin freshman year performance that we can live with that. Knowing the future is super super bright with that kid behind center.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and just having him on campus that's so huge. That's so huge to have yeah. him as an early enrollee for sure. So all in all, pretty good recruiting class for the Horn Frogs. I think people would have liked to see more four stars, maybe a five stars. You know, higher than top thirty and, da, 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 and all this other stuff. But realistically. Uh, you know, we know, we all know at this point that Patterson does not care about recruiting yeah. rankings. He wants to go out and evaluate kids that he thinks can help his program and he's going to go pursue those kids yeah. regardless of ranking. Well, and, you know, it's worked.
1: That so, to me, the most important thing is, is third in the Big 12. Um, when, yeah. when you look at how Iowa State has, has come up and you look at what, you know, Mike Gundy has done over the years and, and what, you know, Troy Neal has done just getting to WVU late and, and and just Matt Rule is a great recruiter. You have so much competition recruiting the best players, and and for them, regardless of how the stars play out, um, at the end of the day, I think like we said earlier, they have a class that fills needs. They have a ton of speed, and they're being they're able to win battles over in-state opponents in their conference, and and that to me is the most important thing. You're going to lose some of those battles against Texas and Texas A&M just based on them being the big flagship public universities with unlimited funding. But if you can go out and you can take guys away from Tech, away from Baylor. You no know, way from Oklahoma State, and you can, you know, one out of every five or six win those battles against AM, UT, or Oklahoma, you're doing the right things. And, and Patterson has put a staff around him that they are exceptional recruiters while also being exceptional talent developers. And, and I think that puts CC in a great spot to get back to being competitive in this conference sooner rather than later.
0: It absolutely does. It absolutely does. All right, so Melissa, let's move on um, to TCU basketball. Not quite as fun of a topic these days, really, to talk about. Um, Even though the Frogs sit at 15-6, and which, you know, at first glance, looks like a really good record. But then you get into the fact that they're 3-5 and in the Big 12, 0-5 on the road in the Big 12. They've lost their last two games at Texas Tech and at Baylor by a combined 45 points. Um, You know, I I don't think there's any other way to put it. This team really... is is struggling uh, they're feeling the loss i think of Jalen fisher they're feeling the lack of depth it feels like scoring wise it's been all up to quatnoy and desmond bain lately um what have you seen from this team over the last week and a half two weeks that's really got you concerned about this squad moving forward so
1: so first i'm going to give a little silver lining okay i'm just i'm going to bring a little okay. hope to the tcu fans um there is another team, a contending team in the Big 12 conference that most people would say is an absolute favorite to not only be a conference champion, but also to make a significant run in the NCAA tournament. And that team is one in six on the road. That team is the Kansas Jayhawks, who has losses at Texas, at Kansas, uh, recently lost at Kansas State. Um, so before we freak out because the Frogs can't win on the road, Let's make sure that they focus on winning the games they're supposed to win. Because frankly, coming out of that conference and how good it is and how deep it is, if TCU can just go out and win the games they're supposed to win, starting with tonight's tilt against Oklahoma State, which will probably be last night's tilt against Oklahoma State by the time most people hear this, um, they're fine. You you need to get to eight wins to to be in the conversation for the NCAA tournament, and frankly, nine wins almost is a guarantee if you have nine conference wins. So. PC is not in a bad place when it comes to having a chance to make a tournament for a second consecutive year. Now, what they'll do once they get to the tournament, that absolutely concerns me. Um, Alex Robinson looks tired for one of the rare times in his career. Uh, he, he has been the focal point of defenses for the last couple of weeks, and the Frogs have happened to run into teams that can defend him in a way that, that renders him much less effective offensively. Um, you know, what, what Tech was able to do, what Baylor was able to do, um what, what Kansas State was able to do is, is they're, they're long and they're athletic and they can keep him out of the paint. When Robinson can't get in the paint, it makes things much, much harder for Noy and Desmond Bain. And um, we've also seen Noy and Bain deal with illness over the last couple of weeks and they have not, clearly not been themselves. And that's been a huge detriment because if they aren't scoring, nobody is. That, that just kind of seems to be TC's MO. Uh, the most concerning thing for me at this point is the defense, uh, especially the three-point defense. What Baylor and Texas Tech did against TCU to break out of kind of you know Tech broke out of a big shooting slump, especially from deep. Baylor continued to shoot well, but went way above and beyond what they had done the last pre- previous few games. You know, hitting uh, uh, I think it was 15 threes, nine of them by Makai Mason. Um, you know, it, it, that that is something that's concerning, and that to me speaks of tired legs and, and a lack of depth. Um, what I'm looking for tonight against another really good three point shooting team is is do the frogs look fresh? Um, you know, Jamie Dixon did a much better job of getting Kendrick Davis involved in the offense early um, and getting him off the bench early letting him take some of the heat off Alex Robinson. They need to play him. And then either Latman or RJ Nemhard need to just kind of identify and establish their a consistent role. Are you going to be a 3 and D guy? Are you going to be a ball handler? Are you going to be somebody that can help facilitate the offense to get Bain and Noy involved? Or, or are, how are you going to make an impact? But one of those guys is going to have to consistently – Give Jamie Dixon something on one end of the floor, at least. It doesn't have to necessarily be both, but uh, they need another body that, can, that, that they can trust in big moments early in the ballgame. And, and I think that's been the struggle is neither of those guys know what their role is going to be from night to night. And I think it's because Jamie Dixon doesn't, doesn't know either. He's not super comfortable with what they're doing on the floor. So uh, if they want to not just make it to the NCAA tournament, but have a chance to win a game or two, uh, that, that, that to me is what they're going to have to be looking for. And it starts tonight
0: against Oklahoma State. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You've got to have some of these these secondary guys really stepping up and, and uh, asserting themselves in, in whatever way helps the team. I think one of the big pieces of this, too, uh, I really feel like TCU needs to get Kevin Samuel more involved on the offensive yeah. side of the ball. You know, he had, I think, four shots against Texas Tech. He made them all. He had 10 points. He had a double-double. Uh, I, I was out of town. I didn't catch the Baylor game, had, but looking at the two, stat sheet. Yeah, he,
1: two points and, and he was ineffective. He really struggled to yeah, catch he, and possess the ball in that ball game. They really bothered him with their small lineup, um, because he was being guarded with by, a um, uh, what is that dude? Is it King McClure? I think that's, or, yeah. That, yeah, the dude, the dude that's got the, like the biggest booty in the Big 12 and knows how to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but a smaller big man on him really gave him problems because of just where the hand level is of the defense. So, uh, he needs to get himself more involved, be a little bit more effective. But yeah, I 100% agree. They need to find him in the paint more.
0: They really, they really do because, you know, you, you start to establish, you know, and you know this, you, you've been a basketball coach for forever. Uh, you, when you start to move the ball inside out, inside out, and you start to move the defender's eyes like that, then people can start to slip out of, a, a, and get open and find spots in the, on the floor where they can get a shot off. Uh, and I just, I, I based on what I have seen over the last couple of weeks, it doesn't feel like TCU does that very consistently uh, in any other way other than having Robinson or Kendrick drive the wow. lane and dish out. And, you know, far too often they're getting trapped in the lane with their yeah. dribble picked up, and then they're either turning the ball over, uh, forcing up a bad shot, um, or, you know, just kind of tossing the ball into no man's land and hoping someone can go get it. So, uh, really, I think that if you start to move the ball a little bit more inside, and if Sam, like you said, Samuel's still got to grow up a lot. And, yes, he's just a redshirt freshman. Um, but you've got to start getting the ball inside a little bit more to your big man, and hopefully that will help help open up the offense yeah. a little well, bit more. I
1: also feel, too, that, that it might be time to kind of examine um, the offense, too, and maybe have more specific sets because Jamie Dixon has been known for running a really – uh, smooth moving, fast flying motion offense. It's really, really effective when you have four guys on the floor that are a threat. Um, but the problem is, is what, what it can also do is it can make your, your players passive. And when you don't have a cutthroat, um, I want the ball in my hands at all times kind of player and you start to struggle offensively, what you see is everybody just keeps passing. And that's why we're seeing so many shots come so late in the shot clock. Uh, Quattanoia is not going to be a ball dominant guard and Desmond Bain needs to be a ball dominant guard. That's not his MO. It's not his personality. In fact, I asked him that after the Baylor game is, is, you know, we've seen two two games in a row. And mind you, he was sick. He did have the flu. But two for two games in a row, he did not score a point in the first half. And TC trailed going into halftime both of those games. And so I asked him, what do you need to do to get yourself more involved? Like, do you need to look to be more aggressive? And at first, he completely was deferential and the, we have a lot of guys that can score, blah, blah, blah. It's equal opportunity. And then he kind of said, but you know what? Maybe, maybe I do need to be more aggressive because we've gone into the half trailing and I haven't done my part. And so that's kind of what I'm looking for tonight. I want Desmond Bain not to be James Harden, but I want him to have a little bit of that Kobe Bryant killer instinct in him where he says, hey, we're down by eight points. I'm going to take over for the next three minutes because he's 100% a guy that can do that. I mean, he is one of the best scorers when it comes to his skill set in the entire conference, which makes him, in my opinion, one of the best in the country. I want to see him want the ball and demand to be involved offensively. And I think that – when you have to start shifting your defensive attention to him, that's going to make it easier for Quattanoi. That's going to get people off of Alex Robinson, and that's going to open up the pick-and-roll game for Robinson and Kevin Samuel because what Kevin Samuel does so well is four feet and in. And he's really, mm-hmm. really good at four and five feet and in and, and getting tip yeah. shots. And he can't even get involved on the offensive glass right now because it's too easy to to surround him as soon as Alex Robinson starts to drive. So – that's kind of what I'm looking for, and maybe you need to call a couple sets. you need to call a couple plays early specifically to get a clear out situation for Dez or to give him a uh, you know a drive and kick option to quad. but but those are the types of things that I want to see Jamie Dixon adjust on tonight and going forward.
0: Okay, yeah, I agree. I think um, you know the the sooner that they can figure out how to how to readjust now that they've lost some bodies, sure. the better it will be for this program overall. And it'll show, you know, that, that Dixon is capable of making adjustments on the fly and, and in the face of adversity, sure. he's you know he's the coach that everybody thinks he is. Well, maybe we um, don't
1: want that before might... they solve this whole UCLA open opening position. Maybe we want him to look kind of bad going the rest of the way too. That might be. Better oh,
0: sure, time. yeah. Maybe this is all a part. This is all a part of the bigger picture. Then maybe this is all intentional. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, but you meant you started this uh, segment with a, a silver lining. I want to get to a couple other ones too. Um, really, one big one is that uh, the frogs still have six home games left on the schedule, yeah. including tonight's game against Oklahoma State. So, um, you know, you have that. You're three and zero in conference at home. You just you take care of home court. Pat or Dixon has said it time after time after time the last couple of years. Just you've got to start by winning your home conference yeah. games. Um, and the fact that they have six of those left to only, um, I think, four. Road games, you know, you have an opportunity now to maybe make up some ground uh, in conference, just because of because of the way those games are sure. are or where those games are located. Uh, but realistically, they've they've got ten games left. You know, six home games, four road games. What does CCU have to do? What's their record have to be for them to get a second straight bid to the NCAA tournament?
1: I mean, I think they have to win six games if they want to secure it. Or you can win eight games and maybe you rattle off two wins in Kansas City, maybe three, or you make a run to the championship game. Um, I think that's what – I think you've got – if you're at 500 in the Big 12 with how good that conference is, I mean, the only bad team is West Virginia with Oklahoma State trying really hard to match that. Now Oklahoma's fallen off too, But you're still looking at a league that's going to have six, maybe seven bids at worst. So winning, going 500 that conference is fine. Um, you've got to win. Against, you've got to sweep Oklahoma State. It'd be super helpful to go win in Morgantown because they have won a couple of big games there at their home field. But that's a really bad basketball team. Uh, you've got to beat Oklahoma at home. I think that they need a signature win, which means that they're probably going to have to knock off Kansas uh, or Iowa State on their home floor. Uh, And then you go and you got to go to Austin and win that game because that home field advantage doesn't really exist. So not this year, at least. So I think that's what you're looking at is, is you're going to lose one or two games at home. I mean, you've still got Kansas State, Kansas, Texas Tech, Iowa State all coming to Fort Worth. You've got you're probably going to drop two of those games unless something dramatically changes with the way TCU is playing. That means you need to make up those two wins on the road. And so you look at that and I think the two most winnable games are probably Oklahoma State and Texas with, uh, with West Virginia and, and uh, Morgantown coming in third. So if you can find a way to win two of those three road games, you could knock off one of the ranked teams or two of the ranked opponents in your building. You're definitely a tournament team, in my opinion. I mean, that's the nice thing about the NCAA. There's 64 slots. There's not four. And so if you're a nine and nine Big 12 team and you win a game in Kansas City or you win two games in Kansas City or, and you have a signature win on your resume and one or two road wins, I think you're in no matter what, especially with the reputation that Jamie Dixon has and, and the way that TC made that run late uh, to get them to the tournament last year. So I'm I'm not concerned. I just, my, my expectation prior to January was this was a, not just a, a NCAA tournament team. It was a second weekend team. And now I think that we need to pin our hopes on just getting there for a second straight year to continue to build positive momentum for the program overall.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I don't think five and five will be enough either, because that puts TCU at twenty and eleven and eight and ten, and really probably hovering around seventh or eighth in the Big Twelve. And then you really start yeah. to get into the bubble conversation. But, um, yeah, it definitely needs to be at least five hundred in, in conference. That puts you at twenty one and ten. Uh, it feels like it's not that big of a difference, but realistically, when you're when you've got all of these different metrics like Ken Palm and then NCAA NETS and everything else that these committees look at, um, a win can make a world of difference. So. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. It's got to be six six wins or more yeah. for the for the frogs in these and that's final Super ten. Super
1: doable, even with the, the depth issues and the struggles and the way they've played over the last week. Um, that Baylor game was one of the worst experiences of my life. Just as, as far as covering TCU athletics, I don't know that I will ever hate anything as much as I hated the second half of that building. Um, it was awful. But at the end of the day, it's just one loss. Sure, it sucks, but, man, you have, a, you have a guy go off for 40 points. He could not miss. He could not miss in the second half of that game. You're going to have a feel-good moment if you're Baylor. And so you've got to let them ride that out, and you just have to be able to, to close that door, lock that box, and walk away. And, and we'll see tonight how T.C. responds. And if they come out, with a little bit of fire in their pants and they want to step on the necks of the Cowboys early, I'll feel much better about the state of this program going forward. If they come in and they let Oklahoma state hang around or, or even put it on them through the first 20 minutes. And we seem to start getting concerned about what maybe, maybe altering our goals for this team going forward.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Let's see. So Melissa, the last thing on the docket for tonight we're 10 days from TCU baseball, nine days from TCU baseball kicking off their regular season, um, with a tournament in Scottsdale, Arizona still against to get Cal there. State Fullerton,
1: really Virginia, and Vanderbilt. I need flights to get cheaper for that. I want to go to that tournament so badly. Um,
0: it's not that bad of a drive, right?
1: Oh man. Yeah. That's all you, buddy. Um, yeah, no. All right. So Jamie, right, I just, I need to be really honest with you here. Um, I allow myself to do this, and most of the time it doesn't come back to bite me in the rear end, but I am, like, really excited about this D.C. baseball team. As I was writing the previews and getting to know a little bit about the players and doing some research, um, I have allowed my hopes to kind of skyrocket here, and I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that that has happened.
0: Are you flying a little too close to the sun, I, you think?
1: I, I, there's just, man, I like the makeup. I like the mix of these JUCO veterans and you never know. What Juco players are going to become, but man, mm-hmm. there's a lot of talent. There's a lot more hitting than we saw a year ago. Uh, the pitching, you know, they, they really can only afford maybe one more guy to miss significant time before that the depth becomes an issue there. But right now, man, it, it is solid top to bottom. They've got guys that can do a little bit of everything and, and, uh, I, I am really close to feeling all in with this TCU baseball team and that has me just really, really concerned.
0: You know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily in a different mindset with this squad. You know, just looking at the roster and looking at the guys that they bring back and, like you said, some of the talent that they're bringing in, it it feels like this is one of those teams that could really do some significant damage uh, long-term in the postseason. And I think it was Janzik said uh, at their media availability the first day of practice a couple weeks ago that – um or I guess maybe a week ago now, uh, that it's, things just feel different yeah. this year for the team than last year. And when you have a, a redshirt senior who is saying something like that, things just feel different. Than, and that's a, that's a signal uh, that maybe there's some uh, some uh, really cool stuff ahead uh, for this team. But Jared Janzek is one of those guys that's really going to have to have an incredible season. And this is a like you said, a pitching staff that is stacked. But if they suffer a couple injuries, you know, we were saying the same thing about the basketball team at the beginning of the year with their depth. You know, injuries can derail a season. But with Janzek and Lodolo and Juco transfer Brandon Williamson kind of maybe rounding out that Sunday rotation, uh, that will be, once again, kind of TCU's M.O. has been over the last seven or eight years having one of the best pitching staffs in the nation. Those three dudes, if they do what they're supposed to, TCU will ha- arguably have the best weekend rotation in college baseball sure. again in 2019.
1: And, and I'll, even, I'll even push back a little bit. I don't think Janzek has to be incredible. I think Lodolo has to be a true ace, and Janzik just has to be steady. If he can give you 12 to 14 starts, even if he's just above average, I think that TCU can hit enough to protect him a little bit. But what we're going to need, if, if Janzek is not you know, back to being the, the J.J. of old, what we're going to need to see is—is is this young freshman pitcher, this Marcelo Perez, uh, who Sloshnagle was very cautiously kind of building up as, as a potential star in the making. If he can develop a little bit ahead of schedule, uh, he has a chance to be one of those guys that bursts onto the scene a little bit surprisingly and completely changes the fortunes of a program. I mean, he. He has that kind of stuff. So, uh, assuming they can find a closer and they've got some good options, I'm still 100% team Augie Milbauer. He, he is the guy I want closing games just because I like. He's got a little bit of fire and a little bit of attitude. I mean, he definitely has stuff. You know, if, if Cal Coughlin is, is who we expect him to be, I mean, you've still got Jake Eisler, you've got Halen Green, uh, you've got Charles King. Those are three guys that are capable of being weeknight or week, or weekend starters, in my opinion, that, that can do what can be asked. And so, uh, the middle relief is solid. If the back end is good and the starting pitching is, is good and then Lodolo is a true ace, they have the makings of, of being a really solid baseball team that was built to be successful in the postseason. Um, I also, you know, one of the other things that, that I really liked, you talked about some of the things that were being said about it. Schlossnagel, I think, very purposely went after some Juco guys. Um, A, because I think TC's gotten so burned in the draft with freshmen recently, but, also, I think mm-hmm. he wanted some baseball dudes. Um, being at a really pretty quaint campus like TCU that's very academically motivated, I think you can get away from like, like dirty gritty, you know, dirtbag type baseball dudes. And I think he wanted to bring in some of that mentality of guys who are desperate to make the most of their opportunity. You don't see a lot of desperation in Kids that come to CCU, <laughs> so so that's fair, yeah. yeah. So and, and especially in a sport like baseball, it's a non-revenue sport. It's not a full scholarship sport. Um, and I think you need some real like need there. Um, and, and these guys, usually kids that are willing to go the JUCO route, or kids that are willing to suffer through whatever to play baseball, uh, to where it is such a priority in their lives. And, and so it, it sounds like what Soshnagel was saying is that these are true baseball dudes, still high character guys, still really intelligent people you know they're not going to they're not going to uh, they're going to still bring up the guys around them but i think that they're really really hungry and we haven't seen a lot of hungry around TCU lately
0: yeah i think you're right and you know you saw a little you saw a little glimpse of what i think Schloss is hoping for in some of these juco kids and aj balta last yes. year yeah. the kid who finished up at oregon and then came and got his masters at TCU because realistically balta stepped on campus and was, for the majority of 2018, TCU's best hitter mm-hmm. and most consistent outfielder. So, uh, you know, you get a couple guys in, like you were saying, that can kind of fill those roles, then this thing is this thing is going as far as, as it really wants to go. Sure. Uh, I, I think the one really kind of question mark around this team, um, you know, you look at the three major categories in baseball, you've got pitching, you've got fielding, you've got hitting. And I think hitting that third category is kind of the biggest question mark for this squad sure. because they did not hit well last year at all. Their team batting average was like sub 260, uh, which is brutal. Even, even at the collegiate level, you only had Balta hitting well. You had Kobe Bullware who hit relatively well, but he's transferred to Arkansas yeah. now. You you lost Michael Landestoy to graduation. He's already got a front office job with the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's pretty stinking cool. Um, and the, the one key bat that you return. From this lineup last year is Josh Watson, and hey, that's not an insignificant returner by any stretch of the imagination. The kid can hit the ball, but when you only have really one key bat returning, uh, you know there, there's a little bit maybe of room for some questions sure. there about how this lineup's going to look.
1: So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you about a couple guys here. Number one is Johnny Reiser. We never saw healthy Johnny Reiser. Um, he's a center fielder. Sure. He he played last year. He's got speed. He's he says baseball people describe him as toolsy, which is just one of my favorite descriptions. I have no idea what it means, but it sounds cool. Um, <laughs> I know what it's supposed to mean, but, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it's kind of silly. But um, but he, like, the one thing he can do is he can really hit the ball out. And I think we saw that in April and May a little bit. And he finally got in his groove. If you assume a full healthy offseason for him, he, he has some pop. He should be a 300 hitter, and he can steal bases. I also love the fact that Schlesinger moved Adam Oviedo from a super, super high pressure, constantly involved shortstop role to third base. Um, Connor Shepard gave us some great moments, but, but he really struggled. I think he had 11 errors at the corner. And so you take some of the mm-hmm. pressure off of Oviedo instead of making, you know, as a freshman shortstop, I can't imagine even being able to think about hitting with how much defense you're, you're responsible for. Um, so hopefully that takes a little bit of the onus off of him and he's a much better hitter than he showed us last year. I think anyone that saw him play in high school and anyone that I kind of listened to the scouting report on him, was shocked to see how much he struggled as a true freshman. Um, and, and then uh, TCU has, like, I don't want to call him Luke and Baker-esque. Like, I don't want to do that. It's a completely unfair comparison to him. But the Frogs went out and got a first baseman from Sac City College, and his name is um, Jake Gunther. And this is like a, a Wisconsin kid. Like he looks like he eats a lot of cheese curds, but like the healthy kind <laughs> um he he is he is big and strong and kind of hulking um but in a really athletic looking way so I am super excited to see what he brings to the table from a hitting standpoint he He just looks like a you know he's six four two thirty so he he has that Luke and Baker look, but like junior year Luke and Baker not like freshman year like he has not grown into his body Luke and baker and so He's a kid that has some pop that has a really good command of the strike zone. Who should be able to provide um, some protection for Josh Watson in the heart of the order. If you can play uh, Johnny Ro- uh, Johnny Riser down near the bottom like Nagel is planning to, and you can get all of those like speedy, consistent guys just to hit in the two nineties with maybe you know three or four of them having big years, uh, you're looking at a team that should be able to bat somewhere in the two nineties as a unit. It should be able to double their home run output, I would think, from a year ago when they were just awful at hitting the long ball and still draw a ton of walks and recap it on the base pass. This is a really fast athletic group. So if if they are just consistent, they don't have to be great. They seem to be consistent. I think we're looking at a team that could get back to, to the consistent offenses of the past or maybe averaging six, seven runs a game and putting their, their pitchers in a, in a really easy position to be successful.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, there's there's all the potential in the world. How that actually plays yeah, out in 2019 is, is you know, always the big question. And, you know, if Jake Gunther gets, uh, you know, works his way into the hearts of TCU fans and kind of fills that C.J. Crone mm-hmm. – uh, or, sorry, Kevin Crone, um, Luke and Baker role, then, you know, everybody's going to appreciate that. So
1: I'm I'm going to call my shot here. I don't think this is a Omaha team in 2019. I think it's a okay. super regional – Participant and a potential national championship contender in 2020. A lot of that is going to depend on what we see out of Nick Lodolo and, you know, assuming he's gone after this year and who steps up to fill his place. But I think Lodolo is going to power them back to the supers this year. But I don't, I don't think that TCU is quite ready to be an Omaha team in 2019. Prove me wrong, TCU, please.
0: Yeah, I think they will. I think they'll prove you wrong.
1: I would be excited. I would love to go back to Omaha. It's a lovely town.
0: It's great, especially in the summer. Yes. Definitely not in the winter, Definitely though. Definitely not. <laughs> so all right. Well that will just about do it for this episode of the Frogs War podcast. Um, you know, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, you can always email us. Um Preferably Melissa, no, frankly. If you have but, com- if you have
1: complaints, you should definitely talk to Jamie. Um if he was gonna tell us how great we are, then like I'm open for business for that for sure.
0: You know, if you have if if anybody has complaints, just tweet at the coach Melissa. That's, <laughs> Thanks.
1: You know, this is what the makes is what makes the dream work here and in, in this little uh-huh. class. So Um, absolutely
0: right but this this has been the frogs War podcast you can follow us on twitter at frogs of war you can follow me at frog preacher you can follow melissa at the coach melissa um you can obviously read all of our fantastic content our entire staff has been really cranking out some quality stuff this uh, early on in 2019 at FrogsWar.com, and you can find this podcast on itunes um and now as a part of the sb nation podcast network which is pretty stinking we're cool. so
1: official. You're never getting rid of us yes. now, folks. Sorry.
0: Yeah, we're entrenched. This thing's happening. So I guess that's it. I guess we'll just stop yeah, we, now.
1: Hey, we've got TCU basketball to go get to, so stop we will.
0: Yes, absolutely. So this has been the Frogs War podcast. Go Frogs. Go
1: Frogs.